Happy Palm Sunday. Let's open our Bibles to John chapter 12. Next Sunday, of course, is Easter. This is Palm Sunday or Triumphal Entry Sunday or whatever you want to call it. It is on the Holy Calendar as Palm Sunday where we celebrate the triumphal entry the week before Jesus' crucifixion. Next week, of course, is Easter, where we will be celebrating the resurrection. And then after that, Lord willing, we will be going through the book of Mark. That is the one I believe we are going to do. It is the Cliff Notes version of the gospel, and I think that is the one we are doing. And uh, that's the one I've been looking at. Uh, So that is where we will dive in. Because everybody's been asking. So Rob's like, Steve, what are we doing here? What do we what he wants to know? And I love that though. I love that people want to know what the next book is. Let's pray before we get into this this morning. Father, we come before you again this morning. We prayed multiple times. We prayed when we opened, we prayed after worship, we prayed for people in our church. And God, we're praying again over your word that Lord, we need help to hear passages that we've heard and heard sermon after sermon on throughout our life, sermons that I've preached, sermons that I've heard. God, help us to hear what the Spirit is saying through the Scripture this morning. Help me to communicate. It is beyond me to communicate it without your help. So Lord, I pray it would not just be the explanations of a man, but God, it would be under the unction of the Holy Spirit. God, I ask that the audience whether they're online or here, Lord, that their hearts would be a wide-open seedbed of fertile soil receiving the implanted Word with meekness that's able to save their souls. We thank you for that today. In the name of Jesus, amen. I want you to turn to John chapter 12. We're going to read starting at verse 9, and I am going to go to verse 43. The danger of reading a big chunk of Scripture is your brain wanders. So exert some mental discipline and stick with me as as we read. Uh, And this is narrative, so it's it's story-esque, so it's easier to follow along. But buried in here are going to be some really important uh, points for us to look at for Palm Sunday. Verse 9, when the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well, because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that, when, was that they heard he had done the sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, You see that you are gaining nothing. Look, 
the world has gone after him. Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father father will honor him. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? But for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So the crowd answered him, We have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? So Jesus said to them, The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. When Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. Though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him, so that the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he heard from us, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore they could not believe. For again Isaiah said, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. Nevertheless, many, even of the authorities, believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it, so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Amen. The triumphal entry, the Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the palm branches laid down like are laid down at the feet of a king, very familiar to us. We've seen it, I've done, I mean, there are churches that actually lay the palm branches down. I mean, there's a lot of uh, symbolism to this that is correct and it's appropriate. What I want to do this morning is I want to, the name of my sermon is The Glory of God and the Tragedy of Man. And I want, I want you to see the, the different groups of people that are in this text, and I want you to see how easy it is to believe true things, but not really. And I want you to see how God is at work 
in working out redemption through Jesus in the middle of people giving lip service that don't really believe. Normally, Palm Sunday is a raw in the Easter. And, and I'm not against that. But as I read these, this text, does anybody else feel the hmm? Does anybody else feel that when you read this whole context? There's some... Jesus is troubled in His soul. Did anybody notice that? I, my soul is troubled. What am I going to say? Father, save me from this hour? No, this is why I'm here. You, you notice that. That Jesus said, hmm, sorrowful. Later on in the Garden of Gethsemane, He does that again. And He goes and He prays, Lord, if this cup can pass from Me. This is the same moment Jesus is feeling the weight as He walks in for the final time into Jerusalem in His earthly ministry. He's feeling the gravity of what's coming. And He's also aware of the hypocrisy of the people laying down the palm branches. That is what, part of what I want us to see. The first group though that I want you to be aware of are the Pharisees. Our oldest friend throughout my entire life hear the word Pharisee. I know these are the bad guys. Not always though. Some of the Pharisees go on to believe in Jesus. Read the book of Acts. But these are the, these are the baddies of the Pharisees. And you notice what they're mostly concerned about are the crowds. Look, look at uh, verse 10. The Pharisees, the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well. Why? Because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. So in chapter 11, Jesus has raised Lazarus from the dead. All, I mean, what are you going to do? He was in there for four days, right? Lord, surely by this time he stinketh. King James Version. And he's raised from the dead. Lazarus come forth. Carmen did a great song on that. If you would like to Google that. And you don't know what I'm talking about, Google Carmen and Lazarus. And your Sunday afternoon just got better. So, um, watch the YouTube clip. Uh, but, the, um, the point is, is that you would think that if I raise somebody from the dead, you would not be thinking, how are we going to kill this guy? You would be thinking, who is this? Who's that guy? That, that's what you think would be happening. It's not happening. They have been putting up with Jesus now for three years. He has confounded them everywhere that they've went. He has shut their mouths, answered their questions, and the people have been marveling because Jesus taught as one having authority and not as the scribes and the Pharisees. They're aware of what's being whispered all over Judea, all over Galilee, all over Capernaum, all over Jerusalem, everywhere that Jesus' earthly ministry touched, in every geography, the Pharisees were the ones that were exposed as whitewashed sepulchers. They were exposed for being hollow on, in real spiritual depth and being plastic show. And the hatred that that creates is a hatred that says, we have no way of refuting that Lazarus has been raised from the dead, yet we want to kill him again. 
He died of a disease that, well, we're, gonna, we're just going to kill him the old-fashioned way with our bare hands, stone him or something. Because the many Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. What does that tell you about the mindset of the Pharisee and the, the chief priests and the scribes? We hate Jesus' popularity. We hate it because that spotlight was on us until this guy showed up. Verse 19, look at what, it's, what they say there. This crowd laying down the palm branches, this crowd crying out, Hosanna, which is uh, quoted out of Psalm, I believe it's 118. Uh, they're quoting out of the Old Testament. They're calling him the king of Israel, which really made them mad. In verse 19, they say, So the Pharisees said to one another, You see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Now, obviously, it was a crowd in Jerusalem, but they were emphasizing everybody's going after this guy. So they want to kill him. This is actually the avalanche is reaching its culmination of hatred from the Pharisees that results in them inciting the crowd at the end of this week to crucify, crucify him, crucify him. That hatred was rooted in jealousy over Jesus having crowds. So let's look at the crowds. That's the other group that's in here. I think that they are mainly interested in seeing a show. Not only that, they are probably interested in thinking of Jesus as the conquering Messiah. And they look at their present condition under Roman occupation. They have to pay taxes to a foreign pig-eating Gentile government that has restricted them. They've, constri- uh, they've brought in uh, tax collectors out of the, their Jewish brothers and sisters. Well, not sisters, but brothers. They, they would have only had male tax collectors. But they've brought in tax collectors from the Jewish population. They're ruling and reigning over Israel. And they don't like it. And the Messiah, when He comes, He's going to set everything right. And in their mind, it is a Davidic conquering king. It is like David. He's going to come in and just like David killed Goliath, you could see how you could make the parallels, right? I could have preached really good Jewish triumphalism sermons. I could have taken David and Goliath and said, Rome may look like a Goliath, but look at what God did through David. And the Messiah is the son of David, and he's going to come in and chop the head off of the Roman Goliath. You see how easy it would do? See, just because the analogy makes sense doesn't make it true. That's just another sermon point for another day. Just because it makes sense doesn't mean that it's so, but that's the way that they interpreted it. That's the way they thought about it. And, and these crowds are saying, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And what they're saying is true. What they're saying is true. But the way that they think it's true and the truth that it really is are two different things. This is definitely applicable to us. The crowds are there specifically because they want to see a show. Now, we've already read what they said in verses 12 and verse 13. Look at verse 17. The crowd had been with him when he, the crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. 
Why are they there? This is the guy that raised Lazarus from the dead. What else is he going to do? Show us another, show us another trick. What else are you going to do? Look at verse 18. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they had heard he had done this sign. People were interested in Jesus because of the miracles. This happened at the feeding of the 5,000. This happened when he was casting out demons. This happened when lepers were healed. This happens all throughout Jesus' ministry. When we go through the book of Mark, you're going to see some of this that, that I'm mentioning now. But all throughout the ministry of Jesus, crowds were following him. Abby and I were talking this week about how sometimes when the crowds would come, Jesus would say something really hard. The time when uh, they were following him around uh, after the feeding of the 5,000, and he said, if you don't eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part of me. Everybody's like, okay, just got weird, and they left. And that's when Jesus turns to Peter and says, will you leave also? He turns to his disciples. And Peter says, where would we go? You have the words of life. The difference between somebody who believes and somebody who's in it for the show is the people who believe encounter difficult things in God, difficult things in Scripture, difficult things in life, but they stick around because they belong to the king. And even when the king doesn't make any sense, they don't leave because they know where would we go? Who else is the king of the universe? I may not presently understand, but I trust the king who's in charge. That's what Peter was saying. The rest of the crowd was, I was just here for a blessing. I was just here for a show. They think they have a show, the crowd does, which is why they're saying, Hosanna, Hosanna. That's why they're declaring, and the word Hosanna, by the way, means save us. It's, an, it's a declaration of praise that says, when you say Hosanna, you are saying, I know you're capable of saving us. This is an adoration to you that you would do that, that you would save, that you're the Savior, you're going to save us, but they're not saying it like He's the Savior from sin. They're saying it like the King of Israel taking over again. That's what they think. But they're saying the right words, aren't they? The right words. If you look over at verse 34, when Jesus says that his soul's troubled, and then a voice comes out of heaven. Do you guys notice that? Did you guys know that was in there? His voice comes out of heaven. Some people say it sounded like thunder. Other people said an angel has spoken to him. And the voice said, I have glorified it, and I'll glorify it again, in reference to Jesus saying, Father, glorify your name. And God saying, I am, and I, I, I have, and I will. And Jesus says, judgment's here. It's, it's, it's here. The ruler of this world is going to be cast out. And when I'm lifted up from the earth, meaning, when I am lifted up on the cross, draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. And they clearly understood something. 
because the crowd that was saying Hosanna says, how can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? How can you say that? Wait a second. We're over here saying Hosanna. We're over here saying King. We're over here saying save us. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. If you're the Son of Man, which is prophesied in Daniel, they know what the, they know what the connection is to these prophecies. These, these people have lived it their whole lives. They know what they're saying. What, what are you talking about that he's got to be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? You can see right there in that verse, something starts to change. So Jesus does not exactly answer their question. He simply tells them, the light is here. Walk in it. Believe it. Kind of like when He told the crowd, if you don't eat My flesh and drink My blood, you have no part in Me. Jesus is, is not telling them, hey listen guys, listen, it's not going to be a military coup. I am here to save the world from sin. That is not, that's not what He says. He says, the light is among you for a little while longer for the rest of this week. Walk while you have the light. Lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he's going. Which is exactly where these crowds were. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. Now the next part of verse 36 gets us to Jesus. When Jesus had said these things, He departed and hid Himself from them. Who? The crowds. Jesus hides Himself from these crowds that were saying Hosanna. Why? Verse 37, though He had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in Him. Now that does not make any sense. Because they were saying the right words, weren't they? Can anybody pick up on the connection I'm trying to make? My, my, my purpose this morning is to provoke you to think beyond classical American Christianity of the last 50 years. Go to church, do the right things, say the right things, but it doesn't truly touch my heart. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Jesus is troubled because He's headed towards the cross. But He's also troubled, I believe, in this context because the people of God, Israel, are rejecting Him. And they don't even know that's what they're really doing. Because they've got a Jesus conquering Messiah in their mind, which is coming, by the way. It's called the second coming of Christ. The conquering Messiah is coming prophesied in the Old Testament. He is coming. He's conquered sin. He will put everything. Death will be the last enemy put under His feet. He's coming back to do that. Okay, Theologically, He's coming back. He is everything that those uh, 
prophet said that he would be, that hasn't happened yet. Here, he's, he's the Messiah that is saving from sin. And when he said, if I be lifted up, I will draw men to me. He's saying it's not just going to be Jews. It's going to be for the whole world. It's every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. All kinds of people are going to be recipients of the grace through this cross. But he hides himself from them. Because even though they saw these miracles, and they enjoyed the show, and they wanted to see what was next, it's kind of like saying, I go to church because I should, and I, I now have a family, so I need to be in church. I went to church, it used to give me a nostalgic feel, feeling to come back. These are all the words of people who have hearts that are over here, but have somewhere in their head an idea that church is probably good. American churches are filled with this kind of believing. They're in it for programs. They're in it for children's church or youth programs. They're in it for really good music. They're in it for nostalgia. They're in it to get their wife off their back. In rare cases, to get their husband off their back. They're in it for some reason other than what we're going to get to at the end of the sermon. Though he had done all these signs, they still did not believe in him, so that the words spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. I will admit to you before I read these again, this is a difficult portion of Scripture. Is that alright if I just admit that before we get started? So here's the prophecy that these people are fulfilling. Lord, who has believed what he heard from us, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? The arm of the Lord meaning the power of God, I believe, in this context, because of all the miracles that have happened. This is clearly the hand and the power of God, and yet they don't believe. Therefore, they could not believe. This is where it gets hard. For again, Isaiah said, he's blinded their eyes. Who's blinded their eyes? The Father. He's blinded their eyes, hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. I will just say, because this isn't the part I'm focusing on this morning, I will just say that I believe that this is the kind of Scripture that teaches that God is sovereign, and it also teaches that man is responsible. Man is responsible because he should have believed when he saw the miracles and heard the proclamation of the King. But it also shows that God is at work in the very rejection of the Israelites in His plan rather than their rejection stopping the plan of God, their rejection becomes a part of the plan of God. Similar to Joseph saying, you meant it for bad, he meant it for good. I'm not going to go any deeper than that, and I'll be honest with you, when you get into this area, God's sovereignty in salvation, and man's responsibility in his choices, and you see that both of them are described, at least that's the way I see it in the Bible, it is sometimes difficult to try to make sense of that. Because I am fallible, and so are you, and there's lots of discussions and lots of theology there. I'm just going to leave it at that, that they are fulfilling Scripture by rejecting Jesus. And yet, I want to again point out that the people we're talking about started the verses with Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They were saying accurate 
biblical things. But they didn't really believe. And we're going to keep reading that. Look at verse 41. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory. Whose glory? Jesus' glory. When did Isaiah see his glory? Isaiah chapter 6. What does Isaiah chapter 6 say? In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. And the angels cried, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Isaiah said these things because he saw whose glory? He saw Jesus in Isaiah chapter 6. If you want one of the clearest testimonies that Jesus Christ is God in the flesh, it's John 12.41. Because He places Jesus in Isaiah 6. That is an incredibly important passage because people try to turn Jesus into something else. Less than God. He's fully man. He's fully God. And John is telling us, Isaiah saw the glory and spoke of Him. Nevertheless, this is where it gets even more cringy. It may, this really scares me. Nevertheless, many even of the authorities believed in Him. So now we've transitioned from people who saw the miracles, but don't believe, but they're there for a show, thinking they've made a Jesus in their own image, a Jesus that's there to conquer. But it's, that's not who Jesus is in this moment. Now you've got authorities that believe in Him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it. So that they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. I have hope for these people. I have hope that many of these people in verse 43 and verse 44, or verse 42 and 43, that as this week unfolds and Jesus is raised from the dead and the disciples begin to proclaim the message of His resurrection, I have great hope that many of these people in this verse began to confess Jesus Christ as Lord. We don't know. Probably so. But as of right now, there are people that are hearing but are afraid of what others think because they have something to lose. Now listen, I, it's easy for us to judge them like, well, I would have... I Test your heart. Test your faith. And you do that by saying, Lord, search me and know me and try me. Am I, am I committed to you or am I not? Am I in it for the show? Am I in it because I like Pastor Steve? Which is great if you like me. That's wonderful. I like it when you like me. But if you like our church because it's small and because... Uh, we're in the West End and it feels like we're doing good things for the community. If those are the reasons you like our church, but Jesus is an afterthought, you're in trouble. 
if, if you're watching online, and I don't know where you may be, and you're going to whatever church you're going to because of the different things the church offers, and Jesus is off in the periphery, you are in trouble. Jesus cannot and must not ever be anything but the center of our faith and our devotion and our love and our hope and our joy and our treasure. He's all of these things in Scripture. And Jesus is... Sorrowful, I believe, one, because of where he's headed, and it's a precursor sorrow to the Gethsemane sorrow, where he's sorrowful unto death, and he's just, oh, he knows where he's headed, but he's surrounded by people throwing down palm branches, calling him the king, and he knows that they don't mean it. Now, if you don't believe me that they don't mean it, you don't have to turn there, but John 18.10, do you know what it says? Give us Barabbas. Do you know who said that? The same crowds of people that welcomed him into the city said, give us Barabbas in exchange for this guy because we thought this guy was going to be the guy. And he clearly isn't. Yes, it was cool. He did some kind of magic trick with the food and he did some. We don't know what he did when when he raised Lazarus from the dead. Maybe people were making that up. Maybe Jim saw something that he didn't really see. But he's not who we thought he was. And the Pharisees stirred up the crowd, the same crowd laying down palm branches, are the same crowd that later say, crucify him. Give us Barabbas. Jesus is surrounded by those people. So when I read the triumphal entry, this is what I keep seeing. Every year when I read it, I think, oh my gosh, I know it's the triumphal entry and Jesus is in the triumphant week leading in to Easter, but I want us to feel the weight of it because next week I'm going to spring the lid and we can all shout for joy that He's raised from the dead. But right now, feel the gravity of these verses, of what is happening with these people. See how easy it is to have right religious words and not know the one you're even talking about. I don't want anybody in this room or anybody listening, I don't want anybody that I've ever preached to to be able to stand before God and say, didn't hear clearly that you were the King of kings and Lord of lords, the only potentate, king of the universe. I just thought you were going to make my marriage better. That's why I was coming to that church. I just thought my kids needed something that was positive. That's why I was coming to that church. I just enjoyed some of the fellowship dinners and I liked how they were feeding the community. I don't want any... you. Those are all good things that flow out of the fountain of living waters and salvation that they are all the they're the result of a cataclysmic event called being born again experiencing the grace of God and embracing Jesus for who he is the savior of your sin that is what i want us to hear and I, the danger so the warning that i'm giving is is that we can go through the words we can sing amazing grace And never have tasted grace. 
It's scary, isn't it? Has there ever been a culture that's more parallel to the Jewish culture? Jewish triumphalism, they've got everything right, they know how it works, everything's in a system, it's, their national identity is tied to it. Everything about the Jewish triumphalistic culture says to me, that's like American Christianity, where you can talk the talk and you can go to church and your heart be cold, your lifestyle be gross, your mind be in the gutter, you don't have a care in the world. Oh, He forgives. And we're just totally separated from Him, which is where I want us to see right now what is the teaching in the triumphal entry that really stands out. Go to verse 24. This is when the Greeks wanted to talk to Jesus, and this is what He says. We're going to have to get used to the way Jesus talks. Because he keeps talking in parables. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. If you take out a grain of wheat that's meant to be put into the ground so it grows, and you put it on a windowsill, it will die. But nothing happens. But if it dies... In the dirt, it bears much fruit. So, not a fruitless grain of seed, but a grain of seed in the ground also dies. And it dies as it were what it was so that a shoot, a stalk, you can look outside at springtime and see this. It looks like it's been dead all winter and we had an ice apocalypse that looked like it finished everything off. But I've got a tree limb that is hanging down on the ground right now and it's hanging on by a dental floss size thread on a branch this big and all of the shoots at the end are, are sprouting leaves. It's really neat. I'm going to cut that down. but because, So that's not a part of the analogy. But, so, okay. However, Jesus says... It's got to die to bear much fruit. Then he says, so it's clear, whoever loves his life loses it. Who are the people that love their life? Well, in verse 43, they're the people that don't want the Pharisees to know that they believe so they don't say anything. That's an example of loving your life. I love this life so much I'm not going to tell anybody that I actually believe in Jesus as Lord. Another example of loving your life is, finally, here's the guy that's going to come in military triumph. He's going to destroy, just like David and Goliath. This is good. This is good. I create a Jesus that I like. In our culture, we create a Jesus that isn't going to judge. We create a Jesus that doesn't have wrath. We create a Jesus that says everything is okay. We create a Jesus that says... These things are okay in the culture. And they're not okay in the culture. Abortion is not okay. Transgenderism and being shoved down everybody's throat is not okay. Homosexual marriage is not okay. Those are just things in our culture. Rampant divorce, it's not okay. Rampant uh, promiscuity, it's not okay. We get it rammed down our throat. Uh, doing whatever we want with our money is not okay. Being greedy and being jealous and being covetous, is, it's not okay. You, you get the point? I'm just going through biblical stuff. And in our culture, 
we make excuses and we try to sprinkle it and flavor it with Bible verses and we create a Jesus of our own making and it's an idol and it's not Jesus at all. Whoever loves his life loses it. Whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. How do you really love your life? Lose it. How? If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Jesus does not want a crowd of people that are interested in concepts to make their life better. Jesus wants servants who love him with all their heart, with all their mind, with all their strength. Let me just say something real quick too about Jesus. Every one of us is guilty of some of the sins that I just mentioned. Not all of them. But you are absolutely guilty of some of those and so am I. The servant of Jesus is not meaning that you better start living right. Boy, you better start getting it right. It does mean that. But it means that in the context of recognize that without a Savior from the sin, you cannot live right. And if you've messed up in this room and you're a Christian and you hear this and your heart's breaking, good! Good! That means God lives in your heart and He hates the sin and He loves you and He is drawing you closer to Him. It's called sanctification. It's called conviction of sin. It's called leading us by His goodness into repentance. That's what He does. But when you hear messages like this and you're like, oh my gosh, I wish he'd just shut up. Sounds a little harsh again. You are the one that I'm preaching to. You need to check your heart. Serving Jesus is serving Him in the grace and the strength that He supplies. But you have to go to Him to get the grace and the strength that He supplies. And if all we are doing in our life is coming to church and trying to be good people, but our hearts and our real life outside of this building is totally unaffected by these words, we are like this crowd crying, Hosanna, Hosanna. Blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord. And I do not want to two weeks or one week from now be the guy saying, give us Barabbas. YouTube will give you all kinds of... uh, The algorithm adjusts immediately and you'll get a thousand of them. But Christians, uh, people leaving the faith all the time. Famous Christians, non-famous Christians. There's videos, there's podcasts, there's all of that out there of people that have grown up in an American crowd Christianity and are coming to the realization that they... That is, there's something fake about that. And they're being honest and leaving and declaring it. But I am here to declare to you that the triumphal entry is hopeful because what is Jesus on His way to do? He is on His way to save people like this. He is on His way to save that's what, he's, that's what He's coming to do. And that's what we are going to celebrate next week. 
And I want you to go home not like, oh my gosh, that was heavy. Well, yes, I do want you to feel the gravity. But if you belong to Christ, if you're His, you've messed up, He forgives. This is the point. The danger that I'm warning against is I've made up my own Jesus and I really don't care and I do whatever I like anyway. That's what I'm warning against. And that's what I see all through the triumphal entry passage. What Jesus wants are people who lay down their lives, who die, take up their cross, they follow Him. Jesus is not interested in our palm branches. Jesus is interested in our lives. All of it. Let's go ahead and stand up. told Daniel or I told Jennifer this morning, I can't remember who I was talking to, I said, I want this to be encouraging. I, but I, sometimes you just feel the, oh my gosh. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning. We thank You that You laid down Your life as a ransom for many. We thank You, Lord, that what we just read was the week before Your death on the cross. We thank You, Lord, that Your death on the cross is what frees us from being people who just flippantly live our lives and give lip service to God. So, Lord, I thank You for the power of Your Spirit. Your salvation and Your freedom are not flimsy and they are not weak. Our faith may feel weak, but God, Your Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And we thank You this morning for Your grace and Your forgiveness, for Your love poured out on us. God, I pray that You would rescue any of us here or listening online. God, that our Hosanna in name only people. God, I pray that You would with Your goodness, lead them to repentance. Lord, we thank You that You died for our sin. We thank You that You've redeemed us from death and the grave. And we thank You, Lord, that this week You are with us as we prepare our hearts and prepare our minds to celebrate Your resurrection. God, I pray that next week, because we will have visitors, Lord, I pray that their hearts would be open and receptive to the Gospel. God, I pray You would lead us to the people to invite. You would lead us to people to share our faith with. God, I pray that You would do a work in our hearts. Lord, that we would be passionate about dying for You and laying the things of this world down. Lord, we thank You for all of this today in the name of Jesus. Amen. Church, you are officially dismissed. Go invite somebody to church. If you didn't get an Easter sign, put it in your yard. Take a picture of it. Put it on Facebook or Instagram or somewhere else. God bless you. Have a great day.